Take my penknife, my good man. I swear it's Springfield's only choice. Throw up your hands and raise your voice. What's it called? Once again. A Main Street store cracked and broken. Sorry, Mom. The mother's spoken. Mono, don't! Hey, hey! Welcome to a very special episode of Jerome and Kevin Present. As today, Jerome and I are going to be discussing our top ten favorite episodes of The Simpsons. I am Kevin Ford of that equation. Jerome, q is the Jerome of that equation. Jerome, I can say safely this is maybe the most excited I've ever been to do a podcast here on Enter the Real World, or in general anywhere, to be honest with you. You know, I got really excited, Kevin. I thought I was talking to the real Krusty the Clown, and then I heard it was your voice, and I got disappointed. You, I, I need you to I need you to tell me you know there isn't a real Krusty the Clown. I will not not tell you there's no Krusty the Clown. It's like in Parks and Rec when he's like, you know Hogwarts isn't real. I need to know that you know it's not real. I mean, he is based off of Bozo the Clown in Chicago, and Bozo was real. I didn't realize Bozo was from Chicago. I mean, there are a number of different Bozos, but that specific Bozo is the Bozo from Chicago. If you heard the old Bozo's voice, you would make a one-for-one connection to Krusty because it was also very gravelly, and and uh, we've already we've already derailed the podcast. We already have. Yes, I'm sure we'll, we can get into Krusty and such later because I'm sure he will come up in some of our episodes. But yes, this is something you and I have talked about for a little while now. Uh, as we said at the end of our last podcast, is that The Simpsons is something that you and I is a show that we hold very near and dear to our hearts. But first of all, there's so much of it. There's such a confined period where you and I, I think, would be considered experts, the golden years, as many people would refer to them. And it does seem like going episode by episode or this or that is one charted territory, but two a lot of it, I think, would just be you and I being like, oh, this is a funny joke or this is a funny quote. And really, like, that's not a podcast. So we decided that we did want to do something for The Simpsons and thought that just a one-off episode where we discuss our top ten in a more formal slash informal way would be the best way to sort of present our love letter to The Simpsons here on the website. So before we even get into that, I do want to know, Jerome, what is your relationship with The Simpsons? Well, you know, it's it's funny that we're finally we're finally doing this this version of a podcast where we talk about it because I think uh, before not, you and I podcasted about TV shows like Veronica Mars and To Halt, Halt and Catch Fire and um, all the other shows that we've discussed, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul. Before we were podcasting about wrestling and all that jazz, and like I, I think even to an extent. Before, like, DVDs and streaming were a thing, like, The Simpsons was a huge part of my life. And it's not necessarily that I was watching the newer episodes obsessively, uh, but back in the day before you had streaming options, like, you basically were restricted uh, to what you had on TV. And even if you had cable TV, like, you were still restricted by the schedule of whatever shows was on, shows were on. So, essentially, like, when I would get home from school, and this extended from grammar school to middle school to high school, The Simpsons was on the local Fox affiliate here at 5 and 6 p.m. or 5.30 and 6 p.m. So 
I was watching Simpsons episodes every day for years, and I've probably seen the episodes that we are going to discuss probably at least five to ten times. And some of these episodes that I've acquired either through DVD or even some on VHS, I've probably seen them a dozen times. So I, I have seen and memorized so many, so many of, so much of the dialogue, and uh, the presence of this show probably has had a lot to do uh, with forming my comedic sensibilities, and also just being a fan of animation. Like I know that I watch a lot of animation because of The Simpsons, and I think it's extended to the fact that you know for years I would watch South Park. Uh, I used to watch Family Guy, no longer do that, um, and I think it's clearly had an influence on those shows, and if you think about it, you look at shows like Bob's Burgers and other shows like that, and there's there's such a clear through line, there's such an influence uh, that The Simpsons has had over the years, because it was the first primetime cartoon since the Flintstones, at least the first popular one. And now we sit here uh, 32 years later, The Simpsons has produced over 730 episodes at this point. And I don't, we can, we can debate whether that's a good thing or not. But the fact of the matter is, is that even though we are, we are going to kind of talk about The Simpsons as if the show is no longer on the air, it still is on the air. It is, and it's really interesting to realize, like, talking to older people who have younger kids who, you know, who are even older than you and I who grew up on the same Simpsons we did. Like, their kids who are now teenagers grew up on a completely different Simpsons. And it's so interesting to see that different dichotomy, how our Simpsons is different from a younger audience's Simpsons. And just how, to them, like, they... They may not even know what our Simpsons is or care or even find it funny. So I find that really fascinating, the dichotomy between those generations, too, of how the show has affected people. But my personal experience mimics yours very similarly in that I watched it a lot growing up. Uh, I had a lot of friends who were barred from watching The Simpsons, but that was never the case with my family. Uh, My dad actually has – his background is in child psychology, so he understands, like – Hey, if you have a good kid watching a show like The Simpsons, that isn't going to make them a bad kid, which I think weirdly a lot of parents have with that or video games or movies or other things. But I, you know, that's, again, beyond the point. My my older brother watched it. My dad watched it. So I was the same with you, like six and six thirty here locally. The Simpsons was on reruns on Fox pretty much every weekday. I'd always watch it until dinner. And then when there was new episodes Sundays at 8 p.m. here, that was appointment television for the whole family. So it was a great bonding experience with with my dad and my brother, uh, just watching those new episodes, growing up on the rerun, seeing all these episodes over and over again. Uh, and then when I got a DVD player, I believe it would have been like around Christmas 2002. The first season of The Simpsons was like the, one of the first DVDs I ever purchased. And then I would just get the subsequent seasons as they came out and watch them over and over again. And like you said, it, it built an appreciation for animation that went to – Family Guy, South Park, Futurama, to the point where as an adult in college, I remember going to uh, Student Org Night, which is a night where the fraternities or the intramural sports and stuff put these you know, presentations, try to recruit people. And I went just trying to find something that was interested. And I found out that there was a group called the Cartoon Satire Club, which basically on a weekly basis for a couple hours, watch cartoons that were built around a theme. And so it it was a great way to meet new people who had the same appreciation I did and also sort of 
talk more about how these shows would would tackle social issues or parody certain things. And that became uh, a cornerstone for a lot of my friendships that I still maintain to this day. And so for me, it's it's so interesting how The Simpsons has built so many personal relationships, both with my family, my friends. And now today, my girlfriend has never she was not allowed to watch Simpsons growing up and we've been watching it from start till, you know, we get to a point where I say, yeah, that's enough. And she's already commented that she's excited for when we end to go back and rewatch all these things. So throughout my life, it's just been something that has built relationships. I've brought people into it. And uh, like you, like you said, it's just been a foundation for my sense of humor and other things. And I, and I'm so glad it is. Cause I, I feel like, you know, growing up on this and even rewatching like the glory days of Saturday Night Live, I have another thing and kids in the hall on like comedy central whenever built like a, I don't want to like, I don't want to sound arrogant to say sophisticated, but like just like a, a more sophisticated sense of humor than maybe I would have had if I had watched other stuff growing up, if that makes sense. For sure. I think it is uh, it is the foundation for so many relationships and so many references. I mean, I could probably go back and just every day in my life, I've probably made some sort of a Simpsons reference, either directly or indirectly. And The Simpsons has also become an important part of meme culture, especially with wrestling memes and things like that. But, I mean, The Simpsons are still everywhere to this day. I mean, how many times have you seen Homer disappearing into into the plants, right? Like that is one of the most memeable moments that there's ever been on the Simpsons. So I think it continues uh, to be an important part of pulp culture, whether, uh, whether people realize it or not. And the other thing is one of, one of my proudest accomplishments, Kevin is, uh, so when I taught in China, one of the things I did is I taught a class that was based around watching episodes of the Simpsons. And, uh, we would talk about some of the uh, some of the bigger issues that the show uh, tackled, and what I think my distinctively most proud moment uh, teaching in China was having the students uh, students read uh, "Has the Whole World Gone Gay: The Simpsons and Sexuality." I think that's my that's my proudest moment as an as a as an academic. I and I feel like there's definitely universities who have courses based around the Simpsons, or at least it's part of a curriculum for a college courses based on television and such. And even I, I took a pop culture class in high school and it's been, you know, it's been so long memory fades, things like that. But I definitely remember my teacher knowing me as a huge Simpsons fan. And I think at some point they were maybe going to have me help in putting together something about the Simpsons. I don't think that ever came to fruition, but you know, at that point I felt like I would have been very confident in doing that with just how much I'd seen and studied the Simpsons. Like um, I shared with you that I was referencing at some points, this huge episode guide to the Simpsons. I have that covers the first 20 seasons, which is a hardcover collection of basically four or five different episode guides. They put out over time. The very first one, I forget how many seasons it covers. It might be the first eight or first 10. Like the cover is just destroyed because that, that came out, either when just the first season on DVD or pre-DVD, so you're really only catching episodes and reruns. And I just, like, obsessed over that thing and learning stuff that I just didn't know because even I wasn't really looking at the internet and stuff. So, like, I was really absorbing just as much about these episodes as I could over time. And, yeah, it just it, it just really became such a cornerstone for so much that I love about film and TV and appreciate to this day. So, I and I know you and I talked about how 
because we love so much of this era of Simpsons, how tough it was for us to just really hammer down our top 10. So for you, Jerome, what was your process for getting down to your top 10? Well, I want to say that you mentioned the DVDs, and an underrated part of the DVDs is the commentaries. I really wish that Disney Plus would upload the commentaries of The Simpsons because For sure. I, think, I think those commentaries, I'm not going to say they're as entertaining as the shows, but I think there are some times when movies and TV shows commentaries are kind of boring. The Simpsons commentaries are pretty legendary because of some of the talent that's involved and some of the people that are uh, on those episodes, including Conan O'Brien has been on some of them. And yeah, it's been a, it's been a very special and big deal. And I also want to mention that John Schwartzwalder, who's one of the most famous writers on The Simpsons, he ne- I don't think he ever did any of the commentaries, but he recently did like an interview, and it was a really big deal and was being quoted everywhere for a couple of days. Yeah, I saw that. That was that was crazy. And yeah, they're like m- maybe the maybe not the only, but they were the first show on DVD where they were like every single episode is commentary. You might get a box of something where you get a couple of the big ones, maybe have it or you know, here and there, but Simpsons, like every single episode of commentary, which is huge. And yeah, getting like Conan on for a couple of those episodes when he was a writer. I mean, we could talk, we, we could talk about it, but thinking about how many people, how many great people have written for the Simpsons and honestly still do continue to write for the Simpsons to this day, even if it's not the Simpsons we remember is really remarkable. Yeah. So in putting this, uh, in putting this together, uh, one of the things that I really wanted to do is I really wanted to have kind of a variety of episodes. I really didn't want to get stuck in a rut where I was putting all Homer-focused episodes, all Bart-focused episodes, um, all Lisa-focused episodes. So I really tried uh, to have a variety of episodes, and I think that that is reflected um, in what I did. I really wanted to also at least have like one specialty episode, like a Treehouse of Horror or something that is like quote unquote non-canon because I think the Treehouse of Horrors, even though I think that's where the show really kind of loses itself at certain points and and whatnot, um, it's still really important, I think, to have at least one Treehouse of Horror on. And I also wanted to get a couple, get a couple of episodes that um, maybe fo- focused on the side characters. I'm not sure if I was totally successful in that, but I could talk about that as we go. But yeah, it was uh, it was really important for me to at least have um, one episode for kind of representing each family member that's really important. And I was actually surprised as I was starting to draft. The episodes, I thought I was going to have a hard time with Lisa episodes in the top 10, but as it turned out, I ended up cutting like two or three. So uh, Marge is actually the person that I had the most difficulty uh, having a top 10 on, but I think that she is uh, she's very well represented in, in, uh, in the episodes, I think. I have to say, I think Lisa over time has become one of my favorite of The Simpsons. And I think some of her episodes are some of the strongest episodes of The Simpsons in terms of like pure heart, really good uh, ways of like encapsulating the culture as a whole. And I think like her relationship with Homer is one of my favorite on the entire series. I don't know that I, I, I don't, I didn't necessarily think of it the same way you did in representing the family in my top 10. I kind of was writing down episodes that, I enjoyed the most for various different reasons and just it was basically a pure pleasure, pure enjoyment episode of The Simpsons and then sort of like figuring out 
where they ranked was just, you know, rewatchability, general memories, things of that nature. And again, it's like a top 10 where this is my top 10 I'm putting on wax, so to speak. By the time we're done recording, it could change. Tomorrow, it could change again. It's a very fluid top 10. So, like, I feel I feel confident saying these are 10 of my favorite episodes ever. But it's like, like you know, I could see myself being the recording. big. oh, my gosh, I can't believe I forgot blank or something or other. So, you know, we can mention honorable mention or something if we want to. But, you know, this is my 10. And, like, I got to stick with 10. And I, I, I try to be forgiving of myself, not like this is my top 10 forever and ever. Amen. But like just an enjoyable top 10 where I can talk to you about Simpsons. If that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And the one thing I will say is that I feel pretty good about my top five being a definitive top five, but then you get into like number six through probably 25 could, could almost be interchangeable. Um, that's kind of how I feel. I mean, they're just, I think if we did top 100 episodes, if we, if we really sat down, watched the entire run, all 730 episodes, and we tried to come up with 100, I bet it would still be really difficult just because there's so much. And my guess is that, my guess is that if we watched every, every season, I bet there's still one or two episodes per season that are still really good. Yeah. Like, you know, in the seasons I'm watching now on past week, consider the golden years, there's still some like I really enjoy. I remember watching when they come out. It's you could definitely tell the sense of humor is a little bit different and it gets a little bit more slapsticky and less uh, less dense. And and I think that sort of kind of gets the root of the heart of The Simpsons. But there's still some really enjoyable and clever stuff in there. But with all that out of the way, Jerome, shall we get into our top ten? Uh, yes. Are there any? So just for the purposes of this, the Simpsons movie does not count. Correct. 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 All right. And honestly, I think the movie's quite good, despite it coming out in 2008, long past where the Simpsons was at its at its peak. I remember seeing that there's being like, wow, this is a lot better than I expected. Uh, I recall having a really fun time with it in uh, in theaters and even rewatching it. I think it's very, it's definitely kind of middle tier Simpsons in a way, but I still think it's uh, it's it's very very watchable. And uh, yeah, there's a there's a good amount of laughs to be had. It definitely felt cinematic and appropriate. Yeah, like it's it's kind of what I would have wanted out of a Simpsons movie, even if the the plot's a bit far fetched. But even just Getting getting to be able to see Homer do double middle fingers as he's swallowed by quicksand is a moment that makes the movie worthwhile in and of itself. I mean, it's not as good as the South Park movie, but what can oh, I say? Oh, God, no. The South Park movie is a legitimately awesome movie. Like, no no qualifiers necessary. Great. And it's a movie that you can read about in my top 100 favorite movies of all time list, which you can find on EnterTheRealWorld.com. Is that what this is going to be? Is that what this top 10 is? It's just a, a disguise to plug other <laughs> stuff on this website. I will neither confirm nor deny. All right. So I'm going to start. We're going to do sort of a, a snake uh, way of this list here. Oh, and I one will... more thing. I, we should tell. We should say to the listeners out there that Kevin and I do not know each other's list at all. Yes, this is a mystery to us, and I'm not going to – you guys, for whatever reason, in your Patreon episode with your top ten performances, publish the list of the two. We're not doing that. you got to listen to the podcast to hear our top ten. I mean, you're the host, and you're you're in charge of this. I, I yeah, did it straight. for logistic, uh, logistics and because it's easier. You say, Hey, you saved me from having to listen to it. Wow. What a jerk. Just saying. 
All right, okay. one per if you save one person from it, there's got to be more. That's just how I, I view things. But all right, yes, this is a this is a complete mystery to each other. So my number ten is I'm going to predict the latest episode of The Simpsons on either of our lists. It is from season eleven, episode twenty two, the finale of season eleven, behind the laughter, which is a, an entire episode that parodies the VH1 show behind the music. I remember like middle school, early high school, I watched so much VH1 and their documentary style shows. And that today is like aided me so well in trivia and whatnot. And I just thought this style parody of Simpsons do parodies like almost better than any other show I've seen. And this is beat for beat, like follows the path of any episode of Behind the Music Wood to an absurd level. The voice, like the the similes they make for like how things are going, are so absurd and make me laugh. And just from a pure enjoyment episode, this is so much fun to watch. Has so many great quotable lines. I thought the cop was a prostitute. I was so gay, but I couldn't tell anybody. I could go on forever, but it's it's it surprised me that it was so late in The Simpsons because it's so clever and so good. But I think. It just really epitomizes to me how well they do parodies and times. So that's my number 10 behind the laughter. Uh, didn't they have the na- the same narrator from behind the music also narrate the Simpsons episode too? They sure did. And I think that's, I mean, that really speaks to the Simpsons is, I mean, how many, how many times do they get guest voices that you're shocked by? Like they get the actual person to voice themselves. It's so rare for them to have like a celebrity that isn't voiced by the celebrity themselves. You know, and it's usually like a political figure or something like that. So they got the tried and true narrator to do this, and man, it's just, it's it's really incredible and worth mentioning. This is the episode where they they tell us the Simpsons are from Northern Kentucky. I don't know if they've retconned that in the future, but that was I remember people like thought it was a big deal that they let us know finally where where uh, the Simpsons were from because the joke is, of course, Springfield's in every single state in you know the U.S., so it's hard hard to tell where they're from and they're very uh uh they they purposely do not try to steer you any direction to how close they are to anything um but yeah they they throw out at the end they're from northern kentucky so i thought that was a, that that makes it significant in and of itself uh as far as latter day and i say latter day in quotes because it's season 11 and they're on season 32 now it's uh it's definitely a really good one uh this is i don't think it would quite make my honorable mentions but as i was putting my list together i was looking at other lists for both ideas and just to just to kind of take the temperature and that is definitely an episode uh that i saw on a number of lists so i don't think uh it's totally out of bounds i think I think I, I've definitely seen this episode a number of times. I don't think it's stu- it's it's stuck with me as much, but it is. Uh, it's definitely got its moments, and I really want to see the Huckleberry uh, the Huckleberry Hound uh, behind the music. And I'm disappointed we never got that. <laughs> right. Uh, it is worth mentioning that, uh, and this might be a good point to bring it up in college with my friend Brandon, who was the president of the Cartoon Satire Club at the time. We got into discussion about what we thought was the moment where Simpsons jumped the shark. I forget who, which one of us said what. I think I said it's the episode where Maude Flanders dies, and he said it's the episode where Apu has the octuplets, and they're like five or six episodes apart in season 11. So I also think Behind the Laughter is significant. It's like once you hit this episode, 
I feel like you're you're comfortable in just stopping and not going beyond that point. Right. Some people would argue with season eight you stop at the end, but I really think like the drop dead, do not pass go, do not collect two hundred dollars is behind the laughter. I mean, I think some people have made the argument that the Frank Grimes episode, as good as it is, kind of breaks the show. And I've also heard other people say the uh, the Mister the Skinner uh, Armin Tamzarian episode kind of breaks the show in a way too. I I think season eight is the last ep- is the last season with absolutely no duds. Like season nine is like you know maybe only two out of twenty two or twenty four episodes are duds, but it's like eight is the last basically flawless season. Yeah, and it starts slowly going, and then that's right. That's why I say season eleven is like, like jump the shark, and then the end is like point of no return. So that's just my personal opinion. I don't know if you have a a thought of. Where you where you mentioned? No, I think season I think season eleven is definitely about that point because I have uh, I have something from season nine on my list which we'll uh, get to. But I'm going to go back all the way to season two. This is the earliest episode uh, for, from my top ten. So uh, the episode that I am starting off with is uh, is season two, episode fifteen, uh, Lisa's substitute, and this is a notable episode. Uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, first and foremost, uh, Dustin Hoffman, the legendary Dustin Hoffman, uh, provides the voice of the substitute teacher, Mr. Bergstrom. Uh, this episode and this show uh, was at a point when uh, they could not necessarily get uh, celebrities to put their names onto onto the onto the episode. So Dustin Hoffman is credited as another person, uh, but because James L. Brooks, who was one of the showrunners and one of the executive producers at the time, uh, had such a rapport with a lot of actors, uh, they were able to bring in people such as Dustin Hoffman. Uh, they would eventually bring in other famous people, again, not credited as, as themselves yet, but before The Simpsons was a phenomenon, uh, Dustin Hoffman did uh, a voice on the show, and he was uh, really excellent. And so the reason reason that I really like this episode is I, I mentioned before that I'm a teacher. I don't think that any show has ever uh, fully any any piece of media, really movie or TV, has ever really captured what it is like uh, what a teacher student relationship is is actually like. Because I think very often what happens is when they portray these relationships, it's either the teacher is really burned out and doesn't care and kind of has to be forced into caring. Or they end up sleeping with the student, or there's something inappropriate going on. But I think that this this episode does a tremendous job of capturing um, kind of Lisa being inspired, kind of having a crush, but also this idea that, yes, he is a teacher, and he is going to inspire, and he is going to be a great teacher, but like he will go away at some point, and he has other other students uh, to teach and to work with. And it's a, uh, it's a very powerful episode. It's also a very funny episode because this is the episode where Lisa refers to Homer as a baboon and Homer is shocked and appalled that her daughter would call, call her this. And uh, just a very self-aware, even though this is season two, the very self-aware of who Homer is at this point. And uh, that speaks very well. And you also get Homer being a good dad. Homer is a good dad to all three of his kids and that is not something that you see in a lot of Latter Day Simpsons episode. Uh, Homer cheers his his uh, his daughter up. He cheers his son up after losing uh, an election, 
and he uh, he helps his uh, youngest daughter Maggie out as well. So, uh, a kind of a heartwarming episode, but also uh, a really good one, um, and it's one that I obviously have uh, feel more of a personal connection to uh, than perhaps others would. But uh, but yeah, this is uh, this is definitely one that has always stood out in my mind. And uh, what a great note you are, Lisa Simpson. What a great what a great payoff, a great ending. Yeah, I think. That when you mentioned Lisa episodes and maybe being tough, like this immediately jumped to mind as like one of two Lisa episodes, I think, are some of the strongest of the series for a lot of the reasons you mentioned. I think with when it comes to Homer, I think when you like the, the great thing the series does is when you boil it all down, Homer's intentions are almost always good. And I think that's what it comes down to is the reason I think the show works is because Homer cares about his family above all, maybe not in the moment. But when when it comes to it, he's always he loves his family. He loves his wife. He loves his kids. That's what I think makes the show work first and foremost. If he didn't love his kids or was truly just a deadbeat or careless or whatever, the show wouldn't work as well as it did. And this episode really exemplifies that. And I think obviously having Dustin Hoffman so early on as a guest voice is great. It kind of gives him a hook to hang things on to, I think, to maybe even get later day guest voices on here. As Simpsons almost becomes for a lot of you hear a lot of actors and stuff who grew up on the Simpsons who are fans who being a voice on the Simpsons was like almost a career goal at times. And like you really knew you made it when the Simpsons asked you to be a guest voice like that kind of thing. Um, and I think it, it, it starts with Dustin Hoffman and then you get into Michael Jackson's here, you know, season three, which, you know, is what it is. And then so many more as the as the series goes on. And uh I'm not I'm not an educator, but my friend Brandon is, and he loves Lisa. That's his favorite Simpsons character, and this is one of, if not his favorite Simpsons episodes, um, because he relates to it so much, and because you are Lisa Simpson is so damn touching, and and it says it says so, so much with saying so little, and so this like just barely was on the outskirts of my top ten, but it's really a phenomenal episode, one of the best from the early days for sure. Yeah, and I think part of also what what makes it so special is like that there's also like this incredible B plot that we haven't really discussed, like Bart running for president and like the commentary about not voting, which is still, which is still powerful even 30 years later. So it is, it is a remarkable episode for, for so many reasons, just because um, everybody has so much to do. Lisa has her plot and Bart does. And, uh, again, Homer gets to be kind of a good dad at the end, and yeah, it's uh, it's just it's uh, it's so good, like so many Simpsons episodes are. So my number nine is one that I don't really see on a lot of top ten lists, but for me, this has always been like it's definitely on the goofier end of what The Simpsons is. And for that reason, it's also kind of a later episode relative to some of the others. So I'm kind of going the opposite of the first one. The first one was kind of this very heartwarming tale of Lisa and her teacher. This is the Springfield Files. And I love the Springfield Files for so many reasons. Uh, This is also around the time that I was getting into the X-Files as a show. And I was watching some of those episodes. So that undoubtedly has an influence on... This being so high, this is also an episode that I probably quote way too much. For example, uh, the line about Urkel and it being Friday night, like when TGIF was a thing, which nobody gets anymore because nobody watches TV on Friday nights. Um, There's also 
um, David Duchovny, uh, Fox Mulder becoming hip- hypnotized at, at Homer running on the treadmill. It's, uh, it's really good. And yeah, this is just, it's, it's not heartwarming in the same way as Lisa's substitute, but it's definitely on the goofier end. And, uh, you've got also an appearance by the legendary Leonard Nimoy, who was such an important part. Uh, he was in a, he was a, he's a, an important guest voice on both The Simpsons and on Futurama as well. So, uh, this is just an episode that is packed with jokes. And there's, I mean, I could literally just sit here for an hour and just talk about the jokes because it's, it's absolutely hilarious. But uh, yeah, as far as Goofy Simpsons episodes, I think this is one of the best. So I wasn't, and I'm not really an X-Files fan, but I got to be honest, ever since we, the more we get into Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, and I realize how much of a crossover there is with a lot of the, the writers and producers and things like that, I feel compelled to go back and watch some of it. My brother was a huge X-Files fan, and I remember this crossover being a big deal when David Duchovny and uh, Gillian Anderson came on to be guest voices. Obviously, both being Fox properties is helpful, but this I remember feeling like a big deal because like X-Files was still popular, was still big. And so it was great cross-promotion for Fox, a really funny episode in and of itself. If you've never seen it or are an ardent fan, doesn't really matter. So many great jokes. I think the script... Scream Homer gives when he sets his foot on fire when he's trying to address the alien is the funniest Homer scream in the entire series. And even like when the the billboard goes from die to diet and his scream is equal there, that's very funny. Uh, Bart's horror story ending with how much it's going to cost Homer for Maggie to go to college. All very poignant. Uh, I think is this also the episode that has uh, Mo being interrogated and, exp- and uh, he and with the lie detector test or no. No, it's not, is it? No, it's not. Um, okay, Homer, this is the one where Homer, as it explodes, the lie detector test, when he says yes to understanding how the lie detector test is going to work. Okay. <laughs> I mixed up my two episodes. Yes, it's, oh man, I mean, the fact that you could even do that is says a lot. Yeah, I love, I, I do really love this episode. It's not in my top ten, but man, it's like right outside of it. Um and that's good. I'm going to say that for probably a lot of episodes we cover. But yeah, this is su- such a great episode. I'm really glad you you put it in your top ten. He brings his love. Don't get let it get away. Break his legs. Ah, <laughs> uh, the best. And uh, okay. also probably squeaky voice teen's most prominent role because he gets to finish narrating the episode too. Yes, it's a good point. Uh, and also, uh, not the last we're going to talk about Leonard Nimoy in our top ten. Oh, I think that's true for both of us. Absolutely. So my number nine. Probably to no surprise, Homer's Phobia, Season 8, Episode 15. And I'm going to read what what Glad called it, uh, uh, the episode in and of itself, when it aired again in, in February 1997. They called it a shining example of how to bring intelligent, fair, and funny representations of our community onto television. And it was awarded the Glad Media Award for Outstanding TV Individual Episode. And, and again, it's it's so important to remember, this is February 1997. Uh, when this was still really taboo, very little conversation about homosexuality without being outright parody or understanding being on television, a lot of caricatures, uh, very harmful portrayals. And it was, and it was only months later when the Ellen episode where she kind of comes out as being gay hit. So this comes first and John Waters is a guest voice from it. And I think it's a great example of how, Simpsons can handle issues with sensitivity, with humor, 
without necessarily taking a side. But I think in the end, like Homer is very obtuse about homosexuality, and that's very clear. Um, maybe some elements of it don't hold up in 2021 necessarily, but I think putting it in in its time really shows how ahead of the curve Simpsons was on a lot of social issues. And it, and it stands apart as being just a really hilarious episode in and of itself. So that's my number nine. Uh, this is one of the episodes that I showed to my students in China because I felt like it was, it was a really important episode. It did not make my top 10, but as far as historical importance, there is no doubt that this is one that would be probably top five. Even, I mean, I would assume um, the one where they have uh, is it uh, is it who get so one of them gets married is it Selma that gets married? You mean who has like a, a same sex marriage? Yeah, I think it would be Patty because I think isn't Selma the one Selma's the one who ends up marrying sideshow Bob and Troy McClure. Right, so Patty is the one that that ends up being married. So I think that is another episode that would be right up there as far as representation and how important that is. Um, but yeah, I mean, you mentioned the fact that this, this aired two months before uh, the Ellen episode and um, you know, Ellen got lost a lot of ratings because of that choice and her show was canceled. And she of course has come back with the talk show and, is a is has had her own issues that are unrelated to kind of her sexuality, but I think that the fact you think about a Simpsons episode, a Simpsons episode probably takes twelve to eighteen months to produce. So they probably had this idea maybe in like late nineteen ninety five, early ninety six. So for them to to produce an episode like this, and I think in some ways it still feels very present and timely. It's certainly not perfect, but I think. For 1997, I mean, it's a really important one. I would not have shown this one uh, to my students if I didn't think it was important. And uh, for those reasons, it, it it would definitely be an honorable mention. And like I said, with this with this show, I could go through honorable mentions that are 25 to 50 episodes long. I mean, there are just so many good ones. And uh, this is uh, this is another really good one. And um. <laughs> It's just thinking back on some of the moments from uh, from that particular episode. Um, I think the one that stands out is uh, whenever when Marge says uh, he prefers the company of men, and Homer says, "Who doesn't?" <laughs> and uh, that's that's definitely one that stands out. Kind of the two that tie into me is when Ho- when Bart enters the room wearing a Hawaiian shirt, and Homer's like, "Where did you get that?" And he goes, "I don't know. Came out of the closet." And then later, Homer says to Marge, "I only know two type of people who wear Hawaiian shirts." Gay men and big fat party animals. And Bart doesn't look like a big fat party animal to me. Great stuff. Uh, a, quote that I, a quote that I will neither confirm nor deny I still use to this day. Uh, yes, not confirm or deny. Exactly. All Anything right. else about this episode? I mean, this is a really good one. Yeah, man. I mean, it's it's just so great. John Waters is a treat. Great episode. I'm a little upset they never brought back John. Maybe they did. I Didn't they bring back John for an episode? I can't remember. I can't remember Maybe a later either. One? I mean, it's one of those things where some people have probably done like, I mean, for God's sakes, Kelsey Grammer has done 23 episodes. He has done an entire season's worth of The Simpsons as Sideshow Bob over the years. And and I mean, there's probably this is probably one of those episodes that has so many think pieces or commemorative pieces based on it. And it's pretty much universal praise for the episode. You know, I'm sure there's a couple people who have issues with it, but uh, I think they're wrong, and I'm going to stand by that. 
My number eight episode, Cape Fear, season five, episode two, considered to be one of the darkest episodes of The Simpsons, if not the darkest episode, because Sideshow Bob wants to murder Bart. Like, that's the plot. In, in plain English, he's out to kill Bart. Like, die, Bart, die, being the Bart, the, and then... I think one of the funniest lines maybe from this show's history about nobody who speaks German could be evil is there. Homer, when he is put into witness protection with trying to get used to the last name Johnson, is hilarious. Uh, obvi- the obvious um, you know, homage to the Cape Fear movie is great. Uh, Sideshow Bob with the rakes, uh, singing the HHS Pinafore at the end. Uh, Bake em Away Toys. Like I could go on and on, but I think this episode is just full of laughs even though it is really dark and insidious at its core. And I think, you know, for that, it can, it shows that like Simpsons was very capable of dark humor and not afraid to go to a very dark place with Sideshow Bob on many occasions. And I think this really is the darkest. So that is my number eight overall episode. I've really wanted to put a Sideshow Bob episode in the top 10. And at the end, as I was putting the finalists together, I, I just couldn't do it. If I were to do it, if I were to put it in the top 10, uh, Cape Fear would have been the episode that I did it because I think this is the best Sideshow Bob episode followed very closely by the by the one that he runs for Marin. I think that one is uh, very politically salient in these days, but I think Cape Fear is the best of them. And you're right in saying that it is a very dark episode, but Hello, Mr. Thompson has become, I think, an iconic Simpsons moment when the clip shows um, air or when the clip shows uh, are on. This is definitely one that they pull from that Mr. Thompson quote. I think he's really talking to you. I mean, it's just it's so good. Um, <laughs> like this is this should be a Bart episode, but the Mr. Thompson thing just absolutely steals it. Yeah, no doubt about it. It's it's just I, you know, I mean, maybe you could say it's not the most like significant episode or anything, but it's just one that like any time it came on in the reruns, I got very excited to watch, which maybe says a lot about me and my deep dark soul. But again, has one of one of the funniest lines of the whole series, and just is so smart, so dark, uh, really stands out for me. Has BuzzFeed ever had a quiz where they you take the quiz and it tells you what Simpsons episode you are? Well, I try to avoid all everything BuzzFeed, so I can't tell you for sure. I mean, that's uh, that's totally fair. So my turn for number eight. So uh, you you should know something about me, uh, uh, listeners, that uh, I am I am not a religious person, but I'm utterly fascinated by religions and by cults. So it should come as no surprise to Kevin or anyone else that my number eight is the joy of sect. Uh, basically, this is the Simpsons cult episode. This is the latest episode on my list. It is the 13th episode of season nine, and it's a classic episode in that everybody in Springfield immediately gets sucked up into this cult. And, of course, uh, the person that is best at resisting the cult, or one of them, is is Marge. And she also has a couple of helpers along the way, the two people who are Christian, that being Ned Flanders and uh, Lovejoy. So they are the ones that uh, basically have to rescue <laughs> the ones that have to rescue uh, the rest of the family, even Bart. Well, I guess it shouldn't be too much of a surprise, given who voices Bart, that boy Bart would get sucked into this cult. But it is uh, it is uh, it's very good. And I think some of the more memorable moments are uh, the way that the cult gets Homer 
into it is by turning leader into the same uh, to sing the theme to Batman. And uh, that's a really funny moment uh, when they're trying to hit Homer in the head and it doesn't hurt. Also a good moment. And uh, it's just got a really good payoff. Again, this is this is definitely on the goofier end of the spectrum, but it's uh, it's it's based on so much. And you can clearly see uh, that they did a they did a great job of kind of nailing just how you get people into cults and people out of cults. And uh, yeah, it's it's really, really amazing. And again, I love the fact that they essentially spoof Scientology when the voice of Bart Simpson, Nancy Cartwright, is a Scientologist. Just beautiful. It's a really good one. Um, and even stuff like when they have the hover bikes to get the kids back and they use the comb and the tissue. And then that's how the leader of the movementarians tries to convince them that his spaceship is real, too. It, its own callback works really well. And The Simpsons, I think, handles religion really well. Like even uh, some of my favorites are my top 10 are like the episodes where Reverend Lovejoy or, or Flanders have crises of faith and how they handle that. Or even like Homer skipping church and having dreams about God, the only character with five fingers uh, coming and talking to him is all done very well. Cause I myself am also not a religious person, but I do find these kind of episodes fascinating. Uh, and even like Homer in the airport calling one of the religious people a crazy person but then being very interested in the movementarians is good and then uh i can't tell you how many times i've i've recited that and how much is this free weekend it's free and what's the cost like that that moment i've i've recited so many times uh jerk ass is a really good insult that's now part of our lexicon um yeah this is a a very heavily quoted episode with myself and my friends so i'm glad to see it represented in your top 10 I also want to point out one of the other things that The Simpsons gets a lot of credit for is is predicting the future. I guess you could say The Simpsons is our modern day uh, Nostradamus. The ending of the episode is the uh, is the family watching Fox and basically being hypnotized by Fox. And I think the meter is off a little bit because it's not the Fox Home Network that necessarily um, hypnotizes people, but there is definitely a Fox Network that, that has seemingly. That has seemingly hypnotized people. Yes. And I, that's another thing I love the Simmons for is they take so many shots at Fox over the course of their series, like really bold and not like hidden shots at Fox too. that, like make you kind of surprised that Fox would keep them on the air. But it's almost, it, it goes to show like why they've lasted so long as they have such power and probably have so much cachet with ratings and viewership in general, just, um, you know, favorability amongst people and, and that they, they can kind of call their own shots and what's Fox going to do. Like they're the cash cow. And I love that they, that they are not afraid to take shots at their home network and they, they're sort of invincible to any blowback. And I, and I love that about the show. Yeah. I mean, the show was, was really popular at that point and it was great to see them uh, take so many shots at Fox, but now the Simpsons are wearing Mickey Mouse ears and it's very sad to me yeah yeah and uh even in the gracie films um i saw a recent shot of that and uh there was a mickey mouse analog sitting in the audience and i'm like come on guys what are we doing oh come god on. like why why is that needed oh uh, yeah now, just, I'm sad. now i'm very sad <laughs> yeah i'm very sad too so should i get into my uh number seven please get this get this disney taste out of our mouths all right so Technically, my top 10 is actually 11 episodes because Who Shot Mr. Burns, we agreed, counts as one episode. So 
That's why both Who Shot Mr. Burns Part 1 and Who Shot Mr. Burns Part 2, they are both in my top 10. And I think this is a case of The Simpsons. I think this is one of those situations where at the time, so cliffhangers are a really big deal. I think they, not as much now, I think it's more kind of the week-to-week thing, but you still, I think, get like season-to-season crossovers. The Simpsons has always been a show where Every story is self-contained to 22 minutes or what, however long it is. I don't think, I don't think there's ever been another two-parter. Has there since this one? I mean, I can't say yes or no for certain, but I can at least say up until the point where we're experts and most people consider to be quote good Simpsons. Certainly not, especially not one that was a cliffhanger where the end of one season was part one and the beginning of the next season was part two. I can't illustrate just how big of a deal this was. I think just with when the episode ended and kind of the way the Fox built it up over the entire summer of who the suspects are, whether it was Homer or Waylon Smithers or like they had like they built this mystery out legitimately to the point where you did have all of the principal characters essentially being suspects and there was a lot of questions, I think, going into part two, like how this would actually break down. And I think I think episode I think part one is very good. I think part two is outstanding. I think it's just the way that it starts and you kind of go through different characters journeys and the way that the the way the mystery breaks down. I think this is just from a plot and narrative standpoint, this is probably part two might be one of the best Simpsons episodes that has ever existed just because it, it, it can't just be about the jokes, but it also kind of has to untwine this, this plot. And this is also a case of being disappointed by a cliffhanger at the time because it's Maggie Simpson. But now, 25 years later, I could safely say that this is this is brilliant and uh, just a great troll of this ki- of this kind of culture. And I think it's one of those things where if they did this now, I think people would be even angrier and it would actually be even funnier uh, because of just how good a troll job this is. But uh, Who Shot Mr. Burns is definitely a very notable event in the history of The Simpsons. And I think it it really this really crossed over into something that wasn't just funny, but was also a very, very good mystery as well. So uh, my number seven, who shot Mr. Burns part one and part two. We will revisit this later on my list, but needless to say, I love this episode. I think counting it at two is only fair. I looked this up while you were talking and they, they apparently have done three other part or two part episodes, but they were like season 28, season 31 and season 32. So it was, what is that, 28, 6, like, gosh, over 20 seasons between part twos with Who Shot Mr. Burns in this. So, yeah, at the time, like, I cannot stress how big of a deal this felt like amongst my family and friends. Like, that whole summer was like, a, oh, my gosh, did you see this? Who do you think did it? Ton of discussion, huge buildup to uh, the the beginning of the of season seven. I really highly recommend if you're going back and watching this, if you can find it online or if you have the DVDs, the America's Most Wanted episode uh, made between these two is 100 percent worth watching. Uh, It's a real episode of that show all done talking about who they think shot Mr. Burns, and it's wonderful. 
Like they get real experts on things to come and talk about it. It's hilarious. Totally worth your time if you're watching this on Disney Plus. Go out of your way to check it out. And we talk about how dark Cape Fear was. This is really darn dark too. And there's especially some really like scary shots in here. Like um, when you see like the shadowy figure coming up in the car to shoot Mr. Burns, like and some of the music cues and stuff. Like it's pretty dark, man. So. Uh, but yeah, really good, such like a memorable moment of the Simpsons. Like in, in my head, it stands out as one of the biggest moments in the show's history because of how much talk there was about just who shot Mr. Burns and the way it came off. It, it, it's, it's such a big moment for the show in my, in my memory. So yeah, it, we will discuss some of this again in a little bit. Also a great, uh, great showcase for Sideshow Mel and, uh, some great jokes about Comedy Central, the one network that has never aired The Simpsons on cable, it feels like. I'm saving a couple moments to talk about here, but yeah, just it, it cannot be understated how great this, this two-parter is. Yeah. Uh, so my number seven is Season 8, Episode 9, El Viaje Misterioso de Nuestro Yomar. An acid trip of an episode, but so hilariously funny. I learned about this reading up on this episode that the plot is based on the works of Carlos Castaneda, which is an author I was not familiar with. Apparently in the late 60s and 70s, wrote books about being trained in shamanism by the indigenous people of Mexico that today are widely considered to be completely, if not, you know, mostly, if not completely fictitious. Uh, But obviously somebody was interested in their works because it's not the it's there's another t- uh, reference to this later in my top 10, but this uh, episode was just insane to watch. And it's really funny, but basically having Homer going on this hot pepper induced drug trip to realize if March is a soulmate or not is so much fun. And Johnny cash does the voice of the Fox in his fever dream. And is considered to be one of the best guest voices in the Simpsons in general. Um, just such an enjoyable episode. I remember watching this and because it was so different visually and with the plot and everything, it really stuck with me. And there's a ton of great moments in it. Uh, like I'm a pink fluffy cloud when you're drunken in a cotton candy machine. So yeah, that's my number seven. Yeah. This is another episode that was, uh, was on an earlier version of my top 10 and it's, um, it's one of those episodes that I think really stands out because when you have the ability to animate, I think it's really, this is, this is where they really take advantage of that because when you're, when you have to shoot live action, it's so difficult and you can't get weird. Like this episode gets really weird and there's almost a, a, I I almost wonder if there's a version of the show that kind of gets into this weird place and they do more episodes like this. I don't think they've done a lot of episodes similar to this just because I would imagine it's, it's very expensive. It's very difficult to get into these questions of what is a soulmate. And this is supposed to be like a Fox animated comedy, but this is a, this is a really remarkable and notable episode. And I am very glad that it uh, is well represented in, uh, in at least one of our lists. So it is not in my top 10, but certainly, certainly another really good episode. And one that probably is, is, kind of the Simpsons evolving as the show got a little bit meta, especially when you get into season seven and eight. I think the Frank Grimes episode is another example of this, but this is kind of a a meta episode in that it is asking the fundamental question of why are Homer and Mark together? And they, they ask it 
through Chile, and it's uh, it's it's a really good one. Yeah, very good. And that talking fox was just a talking dog. Uh, voiced by the great Johnny Cash. Yes, yes. And I also love that the pyramid was just the gift shop. Why would they build a gift shop that looked like a pyramid? Who knows? Um, Which is funny to me because I live in Memphis and there is an actual pyramid that is a Bass Pro shop. <laughs> is that the same? Is that the former um, – or am I thinking yes. of a different town? That's the former stadium that was the pyramid? Yes. They used to be a stadium where the Memphis Grizzlies played. I believe WWF ran events there. They did. It, I, I think that's where the Austin McMahon uh, steel cage match was. Yep. And uh, of course, now they play in the FedEx Forum, which is downtown, and they turn the pyramid into a Bass Pro Shop. You know what? I feel like I knew that because I was reading Jerry Lawler's biography, which, boy, is that really sad at some parts in like a, oh gosh, I think less of you as a person kind of way. And I think I remember looking up the pyramid being like, I wonder what it is now, and seeing it's a Bass Pro Shop and just being like, wow, just wow. The fact that that building, which is a pretty remarkable looking building, is now Bass Pro Shop is uh, interesting to say the least. And you'll be sh- you'll be shocked to know you can buy a lot of guns there. No, you don't say. Uh, there's also a restaurant, and you also get one of the best views of the city in the pyramid as well. As you can go up, uh, take the elevator to the roof, and there's a restaurant that is very expensive, and uh, you can kind of get a view of the uh, of the entire Memphis area. And I'll just say that, you know, if you if uh, if a lighthouse shined on me, too, you'd probably think Batman let himself go as well. Bingo. Well done. Well done. Number six is season seven, episode 21, 22 short films about Springfield. Love the concept of breaking it up into like 22, like minute long stories that some intertwine, get a great Pulp Fiction parody in there. Um some it's you get a little bit of like the lesser characters that don't get as much time in other episodes. And I mean, the steamed hams moment at this point, you, we talked about the meme of Homer going in the bushes, but steam hams has been taking the internet by storm for years now. At this point in time, is this like maybe the most iconic Simpsons moment because of that? Yeah. And that's, that's almost why I didn't want to put it on my list for that reason. And I, I like 22 short films about Springfield. I don't love it as much as a lot of other people do. Um, but this moment is singularly one of the most important. It's also one of the funniest. I mean, it's just, it's just fucking beautiful, man. Like Aurora Borealis. <laughs> and then, uh, it's just, it's so great. I love, yeah. I love that scene alone is just, I mean, I can understand why you put it on your list, certainly just for this moment alone, but I don't think the rest of the episode nearly – it doesn't stick with me as well as some of the others. And it, it it it's so much a parody of Pulp Fiction, and I don't think it works as well as some of the other parodies uh, that it's done, even though Pulp Fiction is my favorite movie of all time. But uh, it's still – I mean, of course, it's still a really good one just for the scene alone. And I, and I, I can't understate, like, even if you're someone who's only seen the memes and maybe is annoyed and sick of the, the Steam Hams meme, like – I, that to me does not take away how funny that scene actually is. It's really good, even if it's been memed to death. Like it's hilarious in and of itself. Um, and even ending with Professor Frank running in to try to sneak in his last little show before it goes to the credits is really good. Love this episode. Some uh, an interesting tidbit when I was reading this to up to this point. Uh, this was only one of four Simpsons episodes to have the episode title on the screen, with the other three being The Telltale Head, 
Bart gets hit by a car in the Simpsons 138th episode Spectacular. Which of the clip shows is my favorite for sure? Yes. Uh, so the reason that they had the 138th 138th Spectacular is I believe that is when they officially overtook the Flintstones, right? Oh, that's interesting. I don't if I don't know that, that for a fact, but that's actually really that's really funny if that's the reason why. That was 600 episodes ago. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. It was 600 episodes, and I think that they have since been. I think I think Family Guy has blown by them. I think Bob's Burgers has blown by them. I think even Futurama has done that. So it's it's pretty remarkable. The Flintstones had 137 episodes, and it stood the test of time. And now it is just. It's probably not even in the top five anymore because of all the uh, the animated shows that have got, that have had such long such long and healthy uh, reigns, so to speak. I know it's it's wild how long shows, especially in the animated realm, last. But, you know, especially if I'm a Simpsons voice actor, how do you turn down that gig with the money, with the ease in which I'm sure all of them at this point have home studio recording. So why wouldn't you if that if that cash cow has not been run dry somehow? I, I don't blame them at all. Yeah, and I'm sure that they're getting paid very handsomely to uh, to do these episodes at this point. I remember hearing like years ago at this point, like a decade plus ago, it was around like 400,000 an episode for the main like six core voice actors. And like that's probably up to half a million, if not more by this point. Like how how on earth could you turn down that money for that work? I mean, at this point, it's just it's so ubiquitous, and I'm sure they're making money off the merchandising too, which is billions of dollars, if not more. So everybody, I'm sure, has uh, has made a pretty penny off of this show, especially um, the the main voice actors. When did television become a business? <laughs> um, probably whenever television first came out. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. I mean, let me tell you, uh, with The Simpsons being owned by Disney, uh, we might be destined to do this forever. So so 2019 is when television became a business. Probably. Yeah, okay. we'll go with that. So my number six is uh, is just – it's uh, it's one of those episodes that, that is kind of – that features a lot of the a lot of the side characters in really good roles, and that's Lemon of Troy, uh, the 24th episode of season six. And – up to this point, we had gotten – we'd always gotten hints of the rivalry between uh, Springfield and Shelbyville. But here is where you kind of get all of – all of that kind of gets paid off as uh, the, the children go into Shelbyville to get their, their, their lemon tree back. And you kind of get bizarro versions of various uh, Springfield stores and whatnot and – you get the story about the lemon tree and kind of how uh, Jebediah Springfield and Shelbyville, Manhattan, kind of they, when they first settled. And uh, I love the reason that Shelbyville was animate that he lived in a town that gave the person the right to marry their cousins, which probably is not the most PC joke of all time, but it uh, still gives me uh, a tickle whenever I see that joke. And just the way that it involves the kids, uh, the kids all have to work together. And I think that's very unique because you get, you get a scene where Nelson and Martin are actually on the same side for once. And you get Bart kind of standing up for the, uh, the city of Springfield. And then later on, you get the parents as Homer is driving Ned, Ned's RV and you get some great moments there. A uh, lot of lot of great running gags of Homer using Ned's stuff, uh, which I uh, very much pr- appreciate. Uh, you also get the uh, the great line "Shake on a boy," 
Uh, so yeah, this is uh, this is a really great episode. And uh, so there was a there was a YouTuber who typically does stuff about movies, but he did a twenty minute breakdown about why this episode is so great, and that that really stuck out. So that's one of the reasons that this has undoubtedly made the list. But uh, it's a very classic episode with so many great payoffs to uh, things that have been hinted at throughout the rest of the series. And even within this one. So, yeah, I love Lemon of Troy. This is definitely one that uh, was on my was even in my top five at one point, but just barely edged out. And it's my number six. And it's a really fun, just like a kind of adventure type episode. Any episode that kind of adds more to the history of Springfield, I really enjoy, especially like a rivalry with a neighboring town. Like you said, Shake Harder Boy is a great line. The dad, when he bites the lemon, the look on his face when he's trying not to wince at the sourness of it is really good. This is what it's like when Doves Cry is great. And we're just one Rocky movie away from getting Rocky 7 Adrian's Revenge, so I really can't wait till that comes out. You know, it's funny you say that, Kevin, because Rocky 6, they actually killed Adrian off in Rocky Balboa. And Rocky 7 is technically the first Creed movie. So I don't know. I don't know how you feel about that. Is that I don't canon? Count it. Is it's, that not canon? It's, it's not called Rocky. It's called a, It's called Creed. That's a totally different it's a subset of the Rocky movies, but it is not so Rocky do, 7. You do realize that if Rocky 7 comes out, Adrian's Revenge means that he's a zombie, right? Uh, are you telling me that we're not in a time when zombies are the hot thing going today? Hello? Look at The Walking Dead. It's may not be what it was a few years ago, but it's still quite the cultural juggernaut. I feel like once Zack Snyder made another zombie movie, he kind of killed it. Yeah, but it was a Netflix thing. It doesn't, it doesn't count. It, it, it very much does. I kind of want to watch it just because I like Batista and Tignataro, but I also don't want to watch it because it's Zack Snyder. I'm very conflicted. But that does not take away from me wanting to see Rocky Seven Adrian's Revenge where she is, uh, let's say, undead or reanimated, not even necessarily a zombie. Army of the Dead is worth it just to watch Batista act, and he's actually good at it. I think, hot take, Batista is the best actor slash wrestler that there's ever been. That's my hot take. I don't think the Rock, that's that hot better take. than John Cena, better than better than Hulk Hogan, of course. But yeah, I don't think that's that hot of a take, especially because I think he's had just in general the best movies of the bunch. You know, the Guardians ones. You know, Spectre. It, it's a James Bond movie. It is what it is. Not one of my favorite Bonds, but still better than a lot of just like the. You know, Rock's going for the money with the family movies where I think Batista wants something with a little more uh, meat on the bone, so to speak. Yeah. So, yeah, as uh, we've completely derailed this podcast, what else? What are the feelings do you have on Lemon of Troy, Kevin? Super funny. It's not in my top 10, but it is one of the one of the ones I enjoy most going back and rewatching well, with certainty. It's, it's definitely a favorite of mine when I get very excited for when I saw it coming up on reruns. Also, some very good Millhouse moments, which you don't get a lot of those, but you do treasure them when you do. And this one has a couple of them with the backpack and running into his twin. Yeah, it's very I good thought stuff. I was the only Millhouse. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, just, I mean, this, this podcast could have just been us exchanging Simpsons quotes for two hours. Yeah, exactly. Which is why we didn't want to go episode by episode in the first place. <laughs> nope. Uh, number five. Should I get to my sure. number five? Yes, sir. So now we're we're getting serious. And as I mentioned, uh, I I really feel like my top five is pretty set in stone. I feel much more confident about this uh, than I do the bottom half of the list. So I mentioned I wanted a Treehouse of Horror. 
And for me, there's only one Treehouse of Horror that could ever make this list, that being Treehouse of Horror number five. Um, there are three. So I think there are different, like, if you go through the various Treehouse of Horrors, I think there's, like, one story that I think is really, really good, but then maybe another one has kind of a dud. This one, uh, it's nothing but bangers. The Shinning, Time and Punishment, Nightmare Cafeteria, all three of those I think are great non-canon Simpson stories. With the shinning being the standout because you get the great line of groundskeeper Willie asking, do you want to be sued? I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't get any better than that. And I think that for me, this is the one that has always stood out as being great. Um, and like I said, there are some other, there are some other very good treehouse of horrors, but I think this is the best one, uh, just because the first one, you've got a direct parody of an outstanding movie. And I think it has, it does, it does it very good service. And then you get into, <laughs> I mean, I, I almost think time and punishment is underrated just because of the moments that you get uh, where Homer goes into a world where there are no donuts. And then it starts immediately raining donuts. You also get a world where Homer is in a place that is run by Ned Flanders, who Ned Flanders has become a Christian fascist, which, eh, that checks out given where we're at now and uh, Homer going back to the dinosaur era. And when he comes back for the final time, his, uh, his family has frog tongues, but Homer decides it's close enough. and settles in uh, with that universe. So a really good one and nightmare cafeteria where it's people. And it's uh, kind of a direct homage uh, to the movie uh, Soylent green. And <laughs> I think my favorite moment is uh, so there's the sloppy Jimbo. Um, there's Uder. And they uh, are all wearing German outfits. Uh, that's uh, some some really great stuff there. Uder, so. Uder Braten with the Lederhosen. Uder Braten with the Lederhosen. Yeah. Just great stuff. Um, you could so, yeah, say he's in our stomachs and we're, dev- we're digesting him right now. <laughs> Wait, scratch that last part. Uh, yes, Treehouse of Horror is – Treehouse of Horror 5 is my number five. See what I did there? Jerome, I can save us some time. My number five is also Treehouse of Horror number five. I mean, I'm actually impressed that this is the first crossover that we've had. Yeah, me too. But exactly on the dot with the numbers, sort of coincidentally, easily the best Treehouse of Horror where all three are standouts. The Shining is one of my favorite movies ever. Uh, I definitely saw The Shining a million times before I even saw the movie. But now that I've seen the movie and love it, I even appreciate more the condensed version that they give. Time and Punishment, like you said, Donut, What's a Donut is so great. I wish I wish I didn't kill that fish. And I mentioned uh, Carlos Castaneda in the Viaje Misterioso episode. When Homer says he's the first non-Brazilian to time travel, that's a direct reference to him as well. So again, somebody was on a kick of that guy at this period of time. Like you said, uh, Nightmare Cafeteria, we talk about memeable moments. The moment where uh, Skinner taps his nose to affirm Edna's belief that he killed Jimbo and turned his carcass into food is another very heavily used gif of mine to – show someone I agree with them or that they, uh, they've they hit the nail on the head with something. So yeah, this is definitely one of my favorites to, to rewatch over and over again and is also my number five. So hey, sa- sp- saved us some time here by covering the same episode here. Uh, anything else you want to say before I give you my number four? Uh, the one thing I will also say about this episode and what makes it so great is the ending of Nightmare Cafeteria is gen- generally hilarious uh, because the entire family – I mean you mentioned kind of the darkness and the Treehouse of Horrors get a little bit dark. And part of what I like so much is that they're singing a musical number while being c- completely turned inside out. Yes. Uh-huh. Very, very good. 
uh, similar, almost uh, uh, similar to, I think, there's the one episode where there's a gas going on and um, Wiggum's in his car and he changes the radio to music and you see the gas outside the windows. That's very funny, too. <laughs> oh, tremendous. So my number four is Who Shot Mr. Burns, parts one and two. We agreed off air. We'd count this as one episode and this is where I have it. Not much more to say, but there's two things I want to say. I also like in um, – I think it's part one. There's a lot of references to the number three or three o'clock. It's three o'clock when Bart's writing out his chalkboard punishment. It's uh, at, at most bar. There's an ad for Pardon My Zinger. That's at 3 p.m. on weekdays. Uh, Burn refer- refers to there being a 3 p.m. sunset when he has the sunblocker in place. And when he falls into the sundial after being shot, the, uh, the clock tower strikes three times. So I like that symmetry with the number three in that episode. And then – Yesterday, uh, because at this point we'd seen all these episodes, I ran by my top 10 with my girlfriend, and she had one request, and that is to mention that. I think for her, one of the funniest moments in the show is when they're at the vet, and Bart is um, getting uh, getting back Santa's little helper that, that Mr. Burns had injured, and Nelson and his parrot both say, ha ha, at, at Bart and his dog. For some reason, that tickled her so much and like turned her into an instant Nelson fan. That she's like, you need to mention how hilarious that moment is on your podcast. So wish granted, it is very funny, but it's just so interesting how like little things like that like stick out. Like to you, it's like whatever, but to somebody else stick out as being so hilarious. So there's that. Yeah, I mean, that episode, those, those two episodes, I think it's one of those things where I think they could have easily they could have easily botched it or they could have done something they could have had any number of people, but the fact that they had Maggie as kind of the payoff, I mean, it's so perfect because they have since alluded to the fact that Maggie may be a serial killer. And I love the moment in a future episode when Mr. Burns knocks on the door and Maggie does a little gun signal at him. Uh, so that's, it's, it's created some great jokes after the episode too. And uh, just, uh, just a really great payoff. And, it, and it's such a great choice too, because even Wiggum's like, yeah, what am I going to do? Like arrest and prosecute a baby. So it kind of gives them an out, too, because if it was an adult or something, there'd be long ramifications or a lot of stuff you'd have to go through with that character. But the fact that it's Maggie kind of gives them a way out of all those things. Okay, so I'm going to get into my number four, and I feel like the only way that I could talk about number four is by getting into what might be the best joke in the history of the show when Bart finds Bort license plates and, <laughs> and uh, a child says, mommy, mommy, buy me a license plate. Mother says, no, come along, Bort. And a man asks, are you talking to me? And the mother says, no, my son is also named Bort. That might be the best joke in the history of the show. And it comes from my number four, Itchy and Scratchy Land, which is a great episode, not just because it also falls into kind of the goofy realm, but it also is an episode that is not about one family member, but it's about all four family members together, which is something that you rarely get. Like, it doesn't feel like any one family member is getting more shine than the others. It's kind of a showcase for Homer. He gets to do his thing. Bart getting to do his thing, harassing the mascots. Uh, Lisa... <laughs> <laughs> and what happens to her and Marge just being horrified by everything that happens. I love the beginning of the episode when the kids are harassing them to go to itchy and scratchy land. I love kind of the Jurassic park and kind of the Jurassic world homages that's going on. This episode, of course, also written by John Schwartzwelder, one of the legendary writers. 
And um, yeah, there's just, I mean, this is an episode that is also very dense and packed with jokes and it's, uh, it's, it's really, really funny. And yeah, it's, it's my number four, uh, for a reason. And I love, I love the pettiness of this because apparently this episode was specifically written in response to the fact that the Fox network did not want them to do itchy and scratchy cartoons and episodes. And this one has like a million of them. And uh, just a million moments involving violence against itchy and scratchy robots. So yeah, number four, a, a really, really good one, and one that has always stood out as being a favorite. So I didn't know that 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 was uh, part of the reason the episode was written as like an fu to Fox. But that's also interesting because I remember, uh, like, we watched an episode and an itchy and scratchy cartoon came up, and in my mind I was like, it feels like it's been a really long time since they have one an episode because there was a run where it felt like. Every other episode, they feature an itchy and scratchy cartoon, and then by a certain point, they kind of just go away entirely. So that's really funny that they did this here. You're like you said, dense, packed with a lot of jokes. Uh, a great hit on theme parks, especially with like the itchy and scratchy land money. We're parking in the itchy lot, um, and uh, oh, and like the, I love that they have like the little side characters, like Uncle Ant Ku Klux Clam is classic, and I think my favorite overall line is where. Homer gets freed from the security from Marge and he's like, I was a political prisoner. And she's like, how do you figure? He says, I kicked a giant mouse in the butt. Do I have to draw you a diagram? Um, So yeah, this is a a, a wonderful episode. Super fun to watch. Even the Euro itching uh, scratching at the end is a good reference. Not in my top 10, but a a darn fun episode of the Simpsons and just a lot of laughs. So I also have a friend who used to name his fantasy football teams after the side characters in Itchy and Scratchy Land. And there was one year that he called them the disgruntled goats. And I still use disgruntled goat to this day as as a, that is a very popular quote of mine. It's a very good one. Um, yeah. So that's my number four. And your number three. So now uh, we're getting we're getting serious here. Uh, we're getting into like what you legitimately consider like the best and the funniest. And this, so I've spent a lot of time in season six, as you could tell. Four of my episodes are from season six. Uh, I'm going to go back a little bit, a little bit into the past, and go with one uh, that I think is both. I think it's both a really good episode and I think it's a really good milestone episode uh, for The Simpsons. I am talking about the 22nd and final episode of season four, Krusty Gets Cancelled. There are so many notable things about this episode. Um, It is one of the few times that Johnny Carson uh, did anything after his appearance, after retiring from The Tonight Show. Uh, You've got Hugh Hefner, the late Hugh Hefner as himself, Bette Midler, uh, you've got the late Luke Perry as himself, Barry White, Elizabeth Taylor, just a, a cavalcade of stars, not even mentioning the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh, just a really funny episode. Um, such great lines as, uh, that'll hold the little SOBs, and uh, I'm a bad little boy uh, with Gabbo. Uh, you've also got uh, the great episode, the great moment with uh, Krusty trying to be a ventriloquist, also playing the the utterly incoherent cartoon called Worker and Parasite, uh, because he loses the rights to Itchy and Scratchy. And yeah, this is just um it's 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 very funny throughout, 
but I think there's there's kind of a heart to the episode because uh, Bart and Lisa are trying to kind of help Krusty uh, make a big comeback with the primetime special, and um, I think there's a there's a certain level of sweetness to it amidst all of the jokes, but uh, jokes aplenty there are uh, in this episode. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a really good one and a really notable one. Uh, this is, I, this feels like also one of the first Simpsons episodes, uh, that I actually saw, uh, because season four is definitely around the time that I started watching the Simpsons on a somewhat regular basis. Uh, so this, uh, this is definitely one that's a big deal to me. So Krusty gets canceled is my number three. I would not have expected that to be on your top 10, let alone the top three. But yeah, it's, it's definitely a really good episode has some really good, some really great guest stars, as you mentioned. Um, and yeah, it's very, it's, it's interesting whenever they delve into the actual world of like, um, of like showbiz and stuff and crusty, they often go that route. Like, uh, you know, later when he becomes, uh, when he tries to balance, like, become more have artistic credibility in the comedy worlds but then sells out for an ad and all that other stuff so they they use him as a really great character to showcase some of those elements and even get into the religious elements with his jewish uh, heritage and such um worker and parasite is hilarious uh as one of their like um animation references to like weird eastern european animation um yeah it's it's a really great kind of satire on uh, specials and cancellations and things like that, and uh, yeah, it's it's a very enjoyable episode. But I I that I don't know why, but I'm really surprised to hear it's in your top ten. Not that I think it's not worthy or anything, but just I don't know. I don't know that I've heard you talk about it before, so that's that's really interesting. I'll get you for this, Pat Midler. Great joke. <laughs> really good stuff. Love that Red Hot Chili Peppers are in there too. Uh, yeah, and really. I like how they talk about not wanting to change your lyrics, and then they end up changing it because of a suggestion Krusty made. Very, very good um, reference to the doors on uh, the Ed Sullivan show. Yes. Uh, Later referenced by CM Punk when it comes to returning to WWE and stuff. CM Punk, really? We're we're going there. Sorry, just comes up because it talks about like Charles uh, Montgomery Punk. (laughs) Charles Montgomery Punk. I love that. That's one of the uh, the the names people think that he cites as being what CM stands for. <laughs> Makes it a little easier to not hate that guy. Oh, and also, uh, rest in peace, Luke Perry, also a guest in this episode. Yes, uh, it's wouldn't it be weird if Jungle Boy, uh, if his son somehow got to voice the Simpsons as well? Like, how crazy would that be? I'm gonna try to make it happen. I have no idea how, but I, I think that would be a nice, uh, a nice symmetry to to those two. I mean, because you're at a point now where you're getting a lot of the sons and daughters of these famous people, and they could probably be fa- – they're famous enough on their own to also be on The Simpsons. So that's pretty crazy to me. Um, like I just found out Bob Odenkirk's son is a writer on The Jimmy Kimmel Show, and that's kind of blowing my mind. That's wild, especially when you consider like he was a writer for SNL and stuff and then eventually became what he was. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's remarkable. I love that though. Yeah. Uh, so let's get into your number three. All right, Jerome, this might be controversial because for many people, they consider this to be the best episode of The Simpsons ever. But my number three is from season eight, episode two, You Only Move Twice. And for a lot of people, having it as number three may be considered uh, not high enough on this list. But yeah, because again, it's considered by many to be the best episode or at least their favorite. Albert Brooks, I would say, 
on record, I would say is the best guest voice ever. Um, Scorpio is such a great villain uh, who means well when Homer relocates the family to their job and how much that they dislike the town to various degrees, seeing Bart in the like remedial school and just a very, one of the earliest like um, pot shots at like Canada, I can remember. And like the accent is so funny to hear in hindsight. Um, but yeah, really Albert Brooks makes this episode. Uh, and I, I, I'm not a huge football fan, but I still think the end of the episode where Homer is disappointed to be gifted with the Denver Broncos instead of the Dallas Cowboys to be really funny. Um, and maybe you can explain why at that time, especially that was so funny. Uh, and I'll mention something about that after too, but yeah, you know, I think for many people, this is the best episode, but for me, it's quote only episode three, that being you only moved twice. Is it going to surprise you when I say it's not in my top 10 at all? You know what? No, it's really not. Um, I do think it tends to be a bit overrated, uh, but I do think it is really good. And I think the strength of Scorpio is what puts it so high for me. But in terms of like a lot of the other stuff with Marge and Lisa, not the strongest episode. Yeah, I don't think it's a strong episode. And I think there's a point. So this episode also has basically an animated Sean Connery because they're clearly going for like a James Bond Goldfinger reference. And I'm not going to lie. I mean, I think that that was just it's kind of a weird like over the top, like just beating you over the head with the fact that this is supposed to be a parody. So I don't think that it's as good as so many of the other episodes on my list. And you're right. Albert Brooks is what makes this episode. And I think just changing it up a little bit and getting away from Springfield, I think was also a good thing. The, the Denver Broncos joke is also really weird because at the time this episode aired, the Denver Broncos were really, really good. So it's just strange to me that this choice would get made to have to make fun of the Denver Broncos specifically. I don't know. It's because the name of somebody on the staff is a Broncos fan, but uh, this episode, uh, this episode does not necessarily work in total for me. And the funny thing is that what, when Marge makes the comment about owning the Denver Broncos is really neat, uh, she's actually right because when you own a football team, you could sell that football team and probably get four billion dollars for it. But I can also understand that Homer doesn't see that side of it. He just wants the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, uh, the funny thing is the Dallas Cowboys are also the Dallas Cowboys are also have been historically bad for 25 years. And Homer being the owner would probably be an improvement. <laughs> well, the other funny thing about Homer being disappointed by the Denver Broncos is in Cape Fear. One of his new identities he wants is John Elway. So he so he wants to be John Elway in season five. And then he's disappointed with the Denver Broncos in season eight. What's up with that? I mean, I'm sure it, – isn't it weird the Denver Broncos have such a history on this show because they were also in – they were in a Super Bowl episode where Lisa and Homer have their bet, uh, the 1999 post-Super Bowl episode with the very obvious Atlanta Falcon and Denver Broncos edits. Um, so, yeah, the Denver Broncos have had an odd odd run on this show. Very odd, but yeah. Um, it, honestly, it may be a little too high on my list even then, but I, but I really think like Scorpio is so awesome. And like that's really the reason why it ranks so high. And and admittedly, him and Homer take up a good chunk of the episode. But I also like Bart School stuff uh, as well. So yeah, that's why it's so high for me. But I but I don't blame you for it not being in your top ten at all. Certainly not. Yeah, but and your number two. But this is one I think is going to be in your top two as well. 
Because we mentioned that Leonard Nimoy is going to come up again, and that's Marge versus the Monorail, Season 4, Episode 12. So there's a lot of times in Simpsons Episodes 2 where there's something that's really funny that I that is so like not part of the plot that you disassociate in your brain from the episode. And for me, I forgot this was the episode with the Flintstones opening with Homer, which in and of itself is such a great moment, but totally separate from the rest of the episode, which is so great, too, with one of the best musical moments in the show. And I actually just copy and pasted this from Wikipedia that shows you how much even the people who worked on the show love it. Conan O'Brien has said that of all the episodes of The Simpsons he wrote, this is his favorite. Homer's lines, I call the big one bitey, and donuts, is there anything they can't do, are among series creator Matt Groening's favorite lines. O'Brien and Hank Azaria performed the monorail song live at the Hollywood Bowl in 2014 as part of the show The Simpsons Take the Bowl. And when The Simpsons began airing on Disney+, Plus, former Simpsons writer and executive producer Bill Oakley named the episode as one of the best classic Simpsons episodes to watch on the service. So it's amongst the favorite of people who worked on the show. It's amongst favorites of the fans. Uh, tons of laughs. And I think it's such a credit to Phil Hartman that he's so associated with Lionel Hutz and Troy McClure. And then Lionel Landley comes as this one episode character, and he adds a whole different dynamic to that character as well that really makes it work out and stand out. And it's just such an enjoyable episode. So my number two, Marge versus the monorail for many to be considered also the best episode of the Simpsons. So I think uh, I'm going to say everything that I have to say about Marge versus the monorail in a few minutes. Okay, then. Well, we're on to number your number two and number one. So take it away. So my number two is Homer at the bat season three, uh, episode 17. And so I am a huge baseball fan. I think that undoubtedly plays into why I am such a fan of this episode. Uh, of course, there are so many important guest voices like Roger Clemens, Wade Boggs, Ken Griffey Jr., Ozzy Smith, Jose Canseco, just a lot of really notable baseball players. Some of these players that I've watched on TV, um, even a couple of them I saw live play baseball in person. So uh, this is a really important episode for me. I know it's generally regarded as one of the best ever, but I think it works for so many reasons. There's so many there's so many great gags in this episode. Uh, the running gag about Don Mattingly being asked to shave his sideburns and saying that Mr. Burns is still better than Steinbrenner. That's a great joke uh, that I'm sure non-sports fans might not get, but uh, is very specific, and I like it for that reason. So this episode, I think, gets written a lot about because of the baseball players. But there's actually, like, the entire first act is basically kind of a story unto itself because it's uh, it's paying homage to the movie The Natural. And what I like so much about this episode is Homer's actually competent at something. Like he has this 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 quote unquote magical bat, and he is the one that is carrying this team to actually being good at softball. So I, I love that it's it's very different than what you've seen in Simpsons episodes since and even before. But I love that the payoff uh, to the episode is where Homer gets uh, beamed in the head, and that is why. Uh, the softball team is able to win a uh, great cameo from John Lovitz in this episode as he plays the opposing uh, plant owner from Shelbyville. Uh, just uh, a really classical episode. Uh, things get a little weird with Ken Griffey Jr. 
Um, <laughs> you get, uh, I think it's Steve Sachs uh, dying because of radiation poisoning. <laughs> uh, Jose Canseco uh, running out uh, with various items, saving people from the fire, which I don't think is something he would actually do in real life. And, uh, and of course, the kids canning Daryl and a single tear coming down Daryl Strawberry's face. I think that is a, that is a pretty iconic moment. This is not my number one, but I do love this episode. Uh, I love Mr. Burns being like, well, sure, maybe one or two of them will get hurt. But the entire team and the cleverness that they take into getting all of them to leave the game. And the bar fight with Barney over Lord Palmerston is maybe my favorite reason for one of them missing it, too. That and and, uh, is it uh, Ozzy who gets stuck in like the, the like the cave of mystery? Yes, he he basically goes into the beyond part of Bed Bath and Beyond, and yes. ends up just toiling forever. Yeah, that's Ozzy Smith. Uh, great yes. stuff. And then the ending, uh, the the parody of Talking Baseball by Terry Cashman with Talking Softball is an all timer. One of the best parody songs The Simpsons has ever done. Stands out as something you can listen to on its own as like a really enjoyable track. And yelling at Don Mattingly for his sideburns is incredible so yeah this episode rules it maybe if i was like I, and if i was more and more into like baseball and sports in general might rank higher but yeah this is a really great choice for a top 10 for sure this is by far the best sport because the simpsons have done a number of sports episodes uh, this is by far their best one and, oh god yeah it's like it's and there's not even like i think a close number two i mean the episode where lisa and bart play hockey is pretty good but i don't think that comes even close uh, to this one, talking baseball. Talking baseball is very underrated because it plays over the credits, so I think it's easily missed. But talking baseball is a very, very good song, and it's uh, it's one that uh, should probably be the uh, opening for this episode, or maybe the closing for this episode. Kevin Ford, who is in charge of the episode, it'll be one of the two. But I am ready to tell you. Uh, oh no, you're telling me your number one episode, which we've already talked about. I mean, you kind of spoiled it. It's sorry, the monorail, but. I mean, how could it – I can't imagine a world – like when I made my top 10, I put Marge versus the Monorail as my number one right from the start. And I was thinking about other episodes, and for me, I think this is top to bottom the best Simpsons episode uh, that has ever been made. And I think it falls on the goofier side of things as opposed to uh, having some of the heart. But like as you mentioned, this episode literally begins – with the Flintstones parody, that is one of the best things they've ever done. Like, even if the episode stopped right there, or even if the episode was bad, like, just having that alone would make it a really good episode. But then it goes on. You get a great song. The monorail song is a classic. Um, you get uh, March complaining about Main Street and the way that that plays out over the rest of the episode. Uh, this is a very good Marge episode because she is kind of the one that is uh, is countering uh, what's going on with the monorail. Uh, you get Homer kind of in charge. Uh, you get Mayor Quimby misquoting Star Trek. May the Force be with you. Just uh, just really good stuff. And uh, and them yell- yelling at Leonard Nimoy for not doing anything, and he asks, "Didn't I?" And then vanishes. And uh, even the end of the episode where you get. All of the various follies, the giant magnifying glass, the escalator to nowhere, the popsicle stick skyscraper. I mean, just top to bottom, like I said, this episode starts perfectly, 
and it ends perfectly, and it has, has so many memorable and iconic moments. I mean, Homer Homer calling uh, the person who saves them Batman, potentially. I mean, just just incredible stuff. So Marge versus the Monorail is my number one, and as good as the rest of this show has been, I think this is always going to be the best Simpsons episode that's ever been produced. I mean, it's a really good one. I put up my number two, but it was not my number one. What is your number one, Kevin? My number one was not even in your top ten anywhere. Which is pretty – like, we only had two episodes. So technically, we had three episodes crossover then. Uh, Mars vs. the Monorail, Trials of Horror 5, and Who Shot Mr. Burns. Yes. Yes. That's that's amazing that we only had three crossovers. So my number one, Season 8, Episode 5, Bart After Dark, where Bart works at the burlesque house. This is an episode where I don't think I stop laughing from start to finish. Everything with Bart and the toy airplane at the house is really great. Him and Homer being lazy as hell at the house is really great. Even uh, Lisa and Marge going to help the celebrities from the oil tar and they're only left to scrub rocks. Lots and lots of rocks because the celebrities have to save all the mammals for optics reasons. Everything to me in this is so funny. Maybe the funniest part is where Homer's at home watching TV alone and doesn't know where Bart is. And the TV's like, do you know where your son is? And he says, I told you last night. No, where is Bart? His dinner is getting all cold and eaten. And then I think for my money, we put the spring in Springfield as the best song in the show. Uh, it even won a primetime Emmy award for outstanding music and lyrics. And we have another memeable moment with grandpa entering the burlesque house, seeing Bart, putting his hat back on and leaving again. To me, this is just, it stands out as just belly laugh after belly laugh. The most enjoyable Simmons episode for myself. Uh, Just from that standpoint, does it get into anything deep? No, not really. Does it have any memorable guest voices? Not at all, but it has the song. It has laughs from start to finish. It is, I think, my favorite Simmons episode. And that was kind of the really great thing about rewatching this all with my girlfriend recently is is like as I'm watching these and I, I, it helped kind of put the list in order in my head. And I realized it's like, yeah, I do like Bart after dark more than Marjorie's the monorail and you only move twice and all these other episodes. So that for me is just the best, like my favorite episode of the Simpsons. I don't want to say the best. Cause I think that's a whole different conversation. Um, and because I think like, because it's not, doesn't have really like a message or more depth to it. I don't know that I put it as the best, but as a personal favorite where I can just pop on and, and enjoy it, this would be it for me. Sex cauldron. I thought they shut that place down. <laughs> yeah. It's so much good stuff here. Um, I can't yeah. imagine a scenario where you talked about that episode and I didn't respond with sex cauldron because I mean, that's, I mean, this episode again, as you mentioned, is not, it, it doesn't have the heart of some of the other episodes that have been even in our, probably a lot of our honorable mentions, but this is uh this is a really, really good episode. And, uh, we put the spring in Springfield is a great song, and I think it mirrors a lot of the cultural conversations uh, that we're still having today about sex work and things like that. And uh, I kind of love the way that they they handled it here. I think they handled it with a certain amount of uh, respect. I mean, of course, there's still going to be a lot of jokes, but uh, yeah, this is a uh, this is this is a very good one. This is definitely one that would be uh, in the uh, in the honorable mentions. And I will admit that there are times where I just uh, will be with a friend. I'll take it off. All right, Dad, that's it. You've been warned. Gets gets recited. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm really surprised the stone. Cu- I I thought the stone cutters was going to be your number one. 
I do like that episode, and I'm I'm looking at my honorable mentions that we can talk about. I'm trying to find what are some of the ones that we didn't mention. Um, Homer's Barbershop Quartet is one of them that I really enjoy. I'm a Beatles fan, so that kind of checks out. Mr. Lisa Goes to Washington, I think, is my second favorite Lisa episode next to um, Bar- uh, Lisa Substitute because I like that it goes into, like, you know, crushing her her political views and, like, you know, seeing how broken the system is and calling out. Uh, Much of Pooh About Nothing, I think, is a really great commentary on immigration in the country. Deep Space Homer, just from, like, a cultural uh, touch point, is a really great one. Uh, and I love him in, uh, you know, having to eat the chips in the air set to um, – oh, I forget the name of the song that's in um, 2001, and then he crashes into the ant farm. I have Springfield Files on there. Uh, Homer's Enemy, of course talking about uh, Frank Grimes. I know you mentioned that before. And then I had the Homer They Fall as another great episode uh, with the where he becomes a boxer against Dredrick Tatum, some really great lines in there. So those are all my honorable mentions that weren't in your top ten. Did you have other honorable mentions you wanted to mention? Uh, there are a number of Ned Flanders episodes that I think would have uh, – that almost made it. And um, I think the one where he's dealing with his anger issues – I think that's a really that's a really big one. That, that's a really important episode that kind of gets into the psychology of his character, um, and it's definitely one that I'm disappointed couldn't fit into uh, the top ten. But um, there's a lot of really really good stuff in that episode, and also the episode where Bart and Lisa get taken away and given to the Flanders. That is another good one. Um, a Marge episode that I definitely. Um, was considering putting on was the episode where she is in a streetcar named desire. Also another prominent one featuring, uh, Ned Flanders. Uh, so yeah, I mean, we could probably just exchange these, uh, (laughs) these honorable mentions, uh, forever. And, uh, also the one where Lisa rejects Ralph, another memeable moment, like seeing where Uh, you can actually seeing where his heart actually breaks. So I love Lisa. Great one. Uh, Also look in the tongue. I think he means trunk is another line I cite uh, very often. Yes. I think I, I always refer to the trunk as tunk for the people that know. I I choo choose you is of course a very, very iconic moment as well. Uh, and also chief Wiggum listening to monster match on Valentine's day. Gosh, darn it. <laughs> oh man uh there's a lot of really good ones i mean honestly i i think clip shows can be really annoying but i think the simpsons has always done a good job with the clip shows even i think the one the one specifically about love i think is actually is a well put together clip show absolutely yeah i the first one that i remember being like ah this kind of sucks is like the musical one because like all the clips of the music they show are great but the one where like snake breaks into their house and stuff and they sing is like maybe the weakest song of the entire series. It's not good at all. Nope. Um, but yeah, there's also like the episode where they go to Tokyo was a lot of fun. A different episode where uh, I think it's Marge becomes the listen lady. And that's where they find the Mr. Sparkle box. Uh, man, like I could just go on and on and on from all this. Like in my mind, if you look at season eight, I think you talked about season six, maybe being your favorite, but in my mind, like season eight is may as well be a greatest hits season. It's really remarkable. Like if, if for whatever reason you haven't seen The Simpsons, like please go watch it. Pick up the DVDs if you can or watch on Disney Plus if you have that. It is – all this stuff still really holds up. Even I think if you're not looking through with a nostalgic lens like we are and I kind of have a case study in my own home that can prove this, like it's still a incredibly smart, witty show. And a lot of the points they make politically and socially and stuff are still very relevant in 2021 for better or worse. Just not Cletus. Never Cletus. 
Why not Cletus? Um, is Cletus very much is just a stereotype of that kind of character? I, folk, I read a whole article about never eat a skunk, but then again, some focal. I mean, it is a it is a fantastic song, but not not the not the best thing in the and world. And when when he has all the the pretzel coupons and he names all his kids off. Oh my god! <laughs> what a, what about I, the end of a Joy of Sect when he takes all those sacks of money from you? I, I'm not saying that Cletus isn't funny. I'm just saying he's problematic. And there are there are a couple of episodes that might have made my top ten. Uh, the Michael Jackson episode in particular probably would have been in my top ten, but. I, I couldn't justify it based on the the problematic uh, sure. elements, and I think so. There are some times when I actually think removing episodes is a really bad thing for for any number of reasons. But Al Jean Al Jean's reason for taking off that episode is probably one of the best ones I've heard. I agree, and it, it, like I hate to say it, but that's a really good episode. You know, it I, is a re- it's a really good one. Yeah, and it, and it's like you know, I think. I think you and I can sit here and talk about the Simpsons with the understanding that like, yes, maybe having Apu as a character is an issue and maybe having so many white actors do voices for non-white characters is an issue yeah. and, and and still understand that like, and we could still talk about the show as being good without with still like with those understanding of those issues and problems uh, in the forefront. Yeah. I mean, Apu should absolutely be, be voiced by somebody who is Hindu and Dr. Hibbert should be voiced by somebody who's black. I mean, these are, these are, these are very good points that other people have made. And, you know, in my younger days, I don't think I had that, that cultural understanding, but now I do. So I would say, and nobody did. I mean, it's, it wasn't like it was just the Simpsons who were doing this, but obviously because they're the most successful and because someone like Hank, Hank Azaria is so poignant and has done so many voices and, uh, all this, like it, it stands out amongst it. And there was the, you know, the Apu problem documentary and stuff that came out. So it is what it is. Don't think, I we mean, are, yeah, I mean, just don't, th- don't think we are on the wrong side of history because we talk about our love of these episodes. Like we completely fully understand this, but different time people just weren't, didn't understand. And, and, or if they did understand, uh, they unfortunately still didn't care and it's an issue and it was an issue it is an issue but we just didn't we now we recognize it now better than then we we grow and we get better and that's just how the world works i mean i think the the thing that's so amazing to me is that you look at where this show started this show started basically the year that kevin ford was born and i was two years old that's when the simpsons started as shorts on comedy on uh, the Tracy Ullman show. And it has been a primetime show since 1989. And things have changed a lot. Things have in many ways not changed at all. But it's, it's, it's amazing to think that Conan O'Brien was a writer on this show. And since he stopped being a writer, he hosted a Late Late Show for like 20 years. He hosted The Tonight Show for a year. He's been on TBS for 10 years. And The Simpsons is still going on. Like, he has not written for the show in almost 30 years. And his talk show career, he has basically decided to move on and do something else, even though he had a 25 to 30 year talk show career. That's how long this show has been on the air. Yeah, it's really remarkable to see, like, his entire career as a late show host and the 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 twists and turns he has made even now he's sunsetting his tbs career moving over to hbo max in a different realm and it's like the simpsons still goes on and on and on and it's 8 p.m sunday time slot where it'll probably be infinitum until 
some of the the voice actors die, and who knows? They may even replace them. Um, I can't, you know, I can't imagine that's. I can't imagine them doing that. I can't, but I also I believe I've um, I've heard like a like Carl Tart, who's a black comedian. I think he mentioned that he they were recasting for some of like like Lou the policeman and Doctor Hibbert and some others to try to rectify the wrongs of. I mean, I think that's a different that's a different circumstance. It is absolutely that's, it is yeah. than than talking about your main Simpsons family and stuff, but. Just saying, like it would definitely get some used to for a new Doctor Hibbert voice and things like that too. But I think that's definitely more that that's correcting a wrong rather than totally rehiring a, a Dan Castellaneta or your Lee Smith or someone along those lines. Yeah, I mean, it would almost be offensive to me to not have Dan Castellaneta as Homer Simpson. Yeah, just, <laughs> and, and he's a and he's and he's a, seems like, like a wonderful human being too. And I love seeing him like whenever he pops up on like you know an episode of Arrested Development or or. Uh, like a Parks and Rec or something like that. It's always really fun to see him in other roles. But we're we're getting way off track. That's our top ten Simpsons. Let us know what you think. I'm at K413 on Twitter. He's at JeromeC1985 on Twitter. Are we right? Are we wrong? Who's an idiot? Well, we're both idiots. But in this regard, who's the <laughs> idiot here? So that was, that's where you can uh, find us on Twitter. Uh, and Jerome, do you want to talk about what we're going to be doing for the rest of 2021 here on this website for our Chrome? So this Chrome is, uh, this is very exciting because we are, we are staying with one of the Simpsons voice actors at least. And so Kevin is not a sports fan, but one of the things that he has been wanting to do is to watch the show Brockmire. So we are going to, we're going to once again, play the game of Jerome knows what's going to happen on a given show, but Kevin does not. It's a little bit different because Brockmire is, is very much a comedy this is – I think we've spent a lot of time talking about dramas. Brockmire has its serious moments, but this is probably the most comedic show uh, that we are going to be reviewing. So September, we're going to talk about Brockmire Season 1 and then so on and so forth. So uh, that's what we're going to be doing. I have seen all four seasons of Brockmire, and Kevin has not seen any of Brockmire as we are recording this episode. So it's going to be very exciting because I once again knows what's happening and Kevin does not. Yep, and I'm looking forward to check another show off my list. It's like, oh, good, this podcast gives me an excuse to either revisit or watch for the first time some show. So I appreciate it for that lens. And I also like that, that we have been covering some more comedic stuff. Like we did Barry and we just did The Simpsons. And now we're moving on to Brockmire. I think that's the perfect place for uh, our Kevin and Jerome Present stuff to be for, for, for us to cover in this as we're going to eventually get back into to the more serious uh better call Sauls and things of that nature whenever you know once they return and we can talk about that more in depth so that'll be a lot of fun but in the meantime i'm enjoying taking breathers with some shorter more lighthearted uh shows like a brockmire so that'll be a lot of fun to get into yeah and there's uh, going to be a lot of very quotable moments from brockmire that we will be incessantly saying to each other uh on this podcast i look forward to it it'll, it'll uh Freshen up our lexicon from just being Simpsons quotes or some other things in our shared experience. <laughs> yes. I mean, we could start quoting Family Guy, but nobody wants that. Yeah, that's it's had its time. Speaking of things that had its time, that's terrible to say. I don't mean that. But you and I have done other podcasts on Enter the Real World, Jerome. What are some of the other things people can listen of yours on? Uh, Mars Investigated. We discussed Veronica Mars. Real Bad. We discussed Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Uh, our presents where we've discussed Barry, we discussed Halt and Catch Fire, 
I do a podcast with Brian DeBrain where we talk about superheroes, superhero Pantheon. Uh, that show is on a break. Uh, we will be coming back with Pantheon Plus in the month of September. Uh, we will be doing a month dedicated to Chadwick Boseman. Then in October, we are going to be doing a month dedicated to uh, John Carpenter. That's very exciting. And then, Kevin, November and December, The Muppets. We are doing a full Muppets rewatch. All of the movies uh, The Muppets have ever have ever made, uh, we will be discussing. So that's exciting. I think The Great Muppet Caper is severely underrated. Uh, that is Brian. I believe that's Brian's favorite, and uh, it's certainly a good one. I think Manhattan, Manhattan is my uh, defending champ going into uh, going into this run. Although Christmas Carol comes very close. Well, we'll see how it, how it all breaks down November and December. Now, won't we? We will. So, from my perspective, you got all the stuff I've done with Jerome, but separately, I did all of the television series Lost with my friend Ben Lundy. Then myself, Brad Grun, and Justin Houston did all of the Adventure Time shows on Cartoon Network. We've also covered all three episodes of Distant Lands on HBO Max, including the latest one. We did a podcast on that back in June, so go back and check that out. And then going forward, I just have the stuff with Jerome until the next Distant Lands drops. So check all that on EnterTheRealWorld.com. And uh, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Kevin and Jerome Presents. For Jerome, this is Kevin saying thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next month when we start covering Brock Meyer. You know, I would suggest uh, covering Futurama, but I really don't want to cry at Jurassic Park again. We're the highlights in your hairdo. The extra arms on Bishnu. So don't take that. We won't take that. Yes, let's.